Melissa Folter, and my pronouns are she and her. I'm a member of your Board of Trustees, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to worship at the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Columbia. As we begin, we honor the Piscataway people and their ancestors. It is on their land that we reside. We are served by the Reverend Paige Getty, minister, as well as a talented and dedicated team of religious educators, musicians, and other professional staff. And much appreciation goes out to the many lay leaders and volunteers whose incredible efforts and dedication 
help to keep us connected. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, whoever you love, and whatever your faith tradition, you are welcome here. We particularly welcome any guests joining worship this morning. Uh, we encourage you to uh, please fill out the visitor form in the lobby or online and connect with others in the virtual or in-person social hour after the service so that we may meet and welcome you. And finally, for those attending worship in our sanctuary at the Owen Brown Interfaith Center, um, please take a moment to silence your cell phones and other electronic devices. And we have one announcement today. Robin? Okay. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. I'm glad to see you all. My name is Robin Slaw. I'm your Director of Religious Education. And I'm here to talk to you about our children. Um, when I was in fifth grade, attending Sunday school in a different faith denomination, I was told by my Sunday school teachers, you're not allowed to ask questions anymore. And I got really upset. I, remember, I don't remember the question I asked, but I do remember stomping up the stairs really angry and telling my mom, I'm not going back there anymore. They won't let me ask any questions. So we're a little bit different here as Unitarian Universalists. We encourage questions. And our children learn to think critically because they're taught how to ask questions and how to think for themselves. It's important. We're raising amazing humans that I believe will change the world. We need teachers desperately, and parents are exhausted. They've endured two years, two and a half years almost now, of pandemic, and their kids need help and kindness and love and support. So I'm asking all of you to please talk to me during, during, right after the service. Send me an email. My email is on the website. It's DRE, Director of Religious Education at UU Columbia. Please volunteer because we really need you. The kids need you. We're raising an amazing generation of children. Thanks.
Um, my name is still Melissa F. Holter, and I am also serving as your worship associate this morning. Um, I want to remind everyone online that there's a downloadable order of service on our website if you'd like to follow along. And for those who have any technical issues or are looking for links, um, please use the chat to communicate with one another. We'll be honoring our joys and sorrows uh, somewhat early in the service today. So please, if you have a joy or sorrow that you would like to have read aloud, please send it to joysandsorrows at uucolumbia.net. And now I invite you to close your eyes, take a deep breath, and hear the sound of the bell as it brings us together in worship. And now I invite you to stand as you are able. Uh, we're going to sing tranquil, as tranquil streams, as tranquil streams, verses one and two. chalice for us? Thank you. Um, our chalice lighting today is by Christine Robinson. We gather this hour as people of faith with joys and sorrows, gifts and needs. We light this beacon of hope, sign of our quest for truth and meaning and celebration of the life we share together. And we now have a uh, generosity minute, so I'm going to invite Ken Rock up to. Good morning. I'm Ken Rock, and my pronouns are he, him. I've been a member of UUCC since 2001. My level of involvement with the congregation has waxed and waned a few times over the years. And what I've learned from these cycles of greater and lesser engagement is that the value I get from being a member of this community is proportional to what I put into it. What I've also observed is that the good this congregation does in the community, here at Obic, in the surrounding neighborhoods, in the county, state, and beyond, is way out of proportion to its relatively small size. Whether they are working to reduce food insecurity, fighting for racial, gender, LGBTQIA+, reproductive, electoral, or climate justice, making amazing music and art, providing religious education for children and adults, supporting a first-class children's center, or exploring the myriad aspects of human experience and spirituality, members of this congregation seem to be everywhere working hard to make this world a better place. That is why, in addition to increasing my personal involvement in the activities of this community, I have shifted more of the financial resources I have available for giving 
to supporting this congregation, mostly through annual increases to my pledge amount. For me, this is a way of ensuring that my limited resources have the greatest impact on creating the kind of world I want to see and to be a part of the process. Thank you. Each week, we recite our congregational covenant, a set of promises we make to each other and for each other to remind us what brings us together and how we choose to live in right relationship with one another. I invite you to stand as you are able and recite these promises with me now. Strengthened by our common humanity and inspired by our seven principles, we promise to be a safe and welcoming community, to nurture each other's hearts and spirits, to delight in the beauty of our diversity, to struggle together on our spiritual journeys, and to challenge each other to live our values. Thus, we pledge our time and vigor to the continuing celebration of spirit, of the world, and of humankind. And now take a moment to greet your neighbors. Um, introduce yourself to someone new. Hi all. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Good morning, everyone. Hey guys. Hey Jerry, how you doing? You got a haircut. Morning, Jerry. Got a haircut and I'm far away. I'm in Massachusetts. Hi, everybody. Hi, Shane. Hey, Ken. Hi, Roger. Everybody's in a chatty mood this morning. I love it. I need some help with my story. So I'm going to invite children to come down to the front to help me with the story. And um, there are a few adults that volunteered to help, but if I didn't have a chance to talk to you this morning and you would like to participate as an adult, I can use you too. We need sort of an entire village of people, so. All right. The, you don't have to sit down on the floor. You're gonna be standing the entire time. So village people, adults all cluster together hang out with each other because villagers do tend to hang with each other. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Just find a place to hang out. All right. This is, I have to get this right. This is a story from the Snohomish people of the Pacific Northwest. And this is a story about how when people work together, they can accomplish amazing things. So let's listen and let's hear the story of the sky pushing poles. So the creator came to this place and said, this is the place that will be the most beautiful of all. And she built the land with hills and mountains and streams, and rivers, and oceans, and forests, and fields. And it was a good place. And the Creator also added animals, and fish, and insects, and birds, all kinds of creatures. And then finally, the Creator brought people. And the people said, this is good. We can fish. We can hunt. We can grow fruit and vegetables. It's beautiful. Except there was just one problem. The sky 
was really low. And the adults kept bumping their heads. Ow! They bump into the sky all the time. So they had to kind of walk around all hunched over. Oh, it was not good. And the trees, they grew up through the forest. And the kids would climb the trees and climb onto the clouds. And then the parents would be like, where are my children? Where'd they go? Oh, no. Now, the children didn't mind very much because they weren't that tall. And they could just kind of walk around. And they didn't bump their heads. And they really liked going up on those trees into the clouds. I would kind of like that, too, if I was a kid. I'm sorry, I know your backs are bothering you, but that's a good visualization of how the villagers felt. All right. Now, one day, the kids were playing in the park, and they picked up a bunch of sticks. Would you all pick up some sticks? Pick up some sticks. Hold your sticks. And as children were wont to do when they hold sticks, they started sword fighting. Yeah, and as they were sword fighting, their sticks sometimes bumped the sky. And they looked up and they realized, huh, when my stick bumps the sky, it moves up a little bit. Bump it some more. Let's see if it happens again. Bump, bump the sky. Bump the sky. Is it going up? Yeah, it's going up a little bit. The adults could raise their heads a little bit more. And they wondered what was going on. They didn't know the children were having their sword fights and poking the sky. So they decided to investigate. And they came over by the children and they saw what the children were doing, poking the sky. And they said, keep doing that. They did. Thank you, Mark. They picked up sticks. And they said, let's raise the sky. And they yelled out, Yahoo! And push the sky. So everybody yell out, Yahoo! And push the sky. But there weren't enough of them. They needed more people. So they said to the rest of the people in the town, pick up some sticks and let's do it all together. Ready? Yahoo! Yahoo! Well, the sky started moving up. Whoa! All of a sudden, they could stand up tall. They kept pushing, though, because it kept bumping into their heads occasionally. <laughs> Yahoo! Everybody, Yahoo! Well, that sky finally got up all the way to where our sky is now. Those were some tall sticks, weren't they? <laughs> and the people of the village partied. All day, they were really happy. They weren't bumping their heads anymore, and they weren't losing their children up in the clouds. So they partied all day and all night. And then somebody looked up into the sky that night and said, oh, look, there are holes. We made holes. And those holes, we still see today. They're the stars that we see in the sky, that the poles poked through the clouds while they were pushing up the sky. We'll talk about it tomorrow. I mean, downstairs. All right. So this story is about the miracles that we can accomplish when we believe in something and we all work together. So Children, we're going to go back to our seats for a couple minutes. We're going to do joys and sorrows. And then thank you, everybody, adults and children who helped us act it out. We're going to go downstairs for RE when we put the pebbles in the water. <laughs> Good morning. My name is Regina Varro. My pronouns are she and hers. This is an excerpt from Creative Religion as Seen by a Social Scientist by Marshall E. DeMock. A creative religion and a courageous person are always found together. Like life, religion is an adventure. 
The role of religion is to produce people whose spirits have a universal appeal, who become angry at injustice and the slow progress of humankind, and who also are compassionate and understanding in their dealings with one another. The test of a religious person is their humility, as contrasted with arrogance, wisdom, as contrasted with knowledge, reverence for life as contrasted with a self-destroying egocentrism. A good religion is a vital, growing one, constantly extending itself toward ultimate truth. Thank you, Regina. Um, each week, um, we share joys and sorrows. Um, if, if you haven't been here before, this is a practice, it's a custom in our congregation where one can publicly and openly share a significant, meaningful event that has deeply touched their life. As I read the joys and sorrows, we will listen deeply and lovingly. And we are made mindful of the sacredness of the ritual when we cast a stone in the bowl of communal water. The ripples it forms symbolize how our lives touch one another. During the music meditation after Joys and Sorrows, if you wanted to come up and place a pebble in the, in the water by yourself just to honor your own joys and sorrows in silence, we invite you to do so. And Regina, would you please drop one more? And that's for all of the unspoken joys and sorrows that you're all holding in your hearts. Breathe in, breathe out. This breath we share with all that breathes. Feel the love of the universe flowing through this community into you and out into the universe again. Let the love of all the universe, your love, flow outward to its height 
its depth, its broad extent. You are more than you know and more beloved than you know. Take up what power is yours to create safe haven, to make a, of earth a heaven. Give hope to those you encounter that they may know safety from their inner and outer harm. Be happy and at peace, healthy and strong, caring and joyful. Be the blessing you already are. That is enough. Blessed be. Amen. are new, if you're interested to come downstairs to religious education with us, we'll be in room 150. So parents, you can pick your children up after the service. We're starting our summer of random acts of kindness. Good morning. My name is Cindy Wood, and this is a reading by Mark Morrison Reed. The central task of the religious community is to unveil the bonds that bind each to all. There is a connectedness, a relationship discovered amid the particulars of our own lives and the lives of others. Once felt, it inspires us to act for justice. It is the church that assures us that we are not struggling for justice on our own, but as members of a larger community. The religious community is essential, for alone our vision is too narrow to see all that must be seen and our strength too limited to do all that must be done. Together, our vision widens and our strength is renewed. This religious community exists by its mission as a fire exists by burning. A fire cannot burn without fuel. And it is the time, the energy, the imagination, the vision, the creativity, the compassion, the love, and the financial support of the members and friends of this community that fuels our mission to nurture and sustain a welcoming, inclusive, and diverse liberal religious community that transforms lives and serves the world. So at this point, I ask you to be generous with your contributions and the sharing of your abundance. You can drop your offering in the basket at the back of the sanctuary, or if you're watching online, instructions for donating will be put up on your screen. 
and the offering will now be gratefully received. morning, everyone. It's wonderful to be here with all of you, to see all of you sitting here. And a special shout out to everybody who is watching on Zoom. We are happy that we are all here together. So um, last summer, I'm Kathy Parker, by the way. <laughs> I'm Kathleen in this thing, but uh, everybody knows me as Kathy. So last summer, I gave a sermon on UU history. Uh, it was kind of a survey, all right, uh, linking our UU theology, how that evolved over time, with our evolving commitments to service. Today, I want to offer three stories, each one very unique. The first two come from the recent issue of our Journal of Unitarian Universalist Studies, which I edit. I've got a copy of it here, okay? I also have some copies that I am, was going to leave at the bookstore, but the bookstore doesn't appear to be open today. But we will be selling these in the bookstore if any of you are interested. And of course, we would love it if you would join our society. Um, it's a little more money, but it's, it's in support of a very good cause. The third story comes from a book I wrote on the UUs in Pittsburgh. This work that I do began in a way I never expected. I had rejected my Calvinist upbringing in the Reformed Church, and after trying Presbyterian and United Church of Christ options, I made my way to the First Unitarian Church of Pittsburgh. As I climbed the old slate steps at the, bank, at the back of the sanctuary, I felt some hesitation. I could sort of feel my parents behind me, shuddering. They were no longer alive to see this. Um, well, critically, there was no Apostles' Creed, which I had rejected, okay? And the words of the benediction that day spoke to my heart. For those of us who have come here seeking God, may God go with us. 
For those of us who have come here seeking life, may life return our affection. For those of us who have come here seeking a better way, may that way be found and the courage to take it step by step. I realized here was a place where I could be open to some idea of God if I wanted, or I could simply search for ways to be a better person, no longer assuming my depraved nature. <laughs> this was the moment, in quotes, as is true for many of us, when you, you clicked for me. Not long after, Dorothy Emerson, a UU minister in Massachusetts, posted a request online for someone to write a narrative of the history of community ministry in Unitarian Universalism. I responded, and my application was accepted because as she told me later, no one else was interested. <laughs> This became my invitation to study and write about our UU history, which opened up possibilities I never imagined. So I'm gonna tell two stories first from this, our, our, our latest journal, this just came out. Finding who we are as UUs can be a wonderful process. But there are parts of who we are that once we discover them may make us a little uncomfortable. This story comes from a conflicted time in our history. During the very sad imperialist phase of our nation's history, eugenics became popular. Somehow through selective breeding, it was thought that human beings could produce a perfect human race, i.e. Anglo-Saxon. In a recent article in our journal, the Reverend Dr. Frederick Muir, who is the Minister Emeritus of the Annapolis UU Church, exposes the extent to which key leaders in the eugenics movement were Unitarian or Universalist. David Starr Jordan was famous for his anti-imperialist activism but those who praised him failed to mention the shadow side of his peace advocacy in which he felt that everything um, needed to, um, everything was based on keeping the races separate. While he advocated that all are free and equal, he promoted Anglo-Saxon supremacy, bear in mind, this was older than the hills. I mean, this had been around for a long time. And other Unitarians and other people in general just, you know, couldn't get past that. His biographer wrote, he was sure that the highest range of possibility in nearly every field had been achieved by the blonde races in Europe. America's progress could only be attributed to its Nordic history and temper. Theodore Lothrop Stoddard was another star among UU eugenicists. Two of his most popular books came in succession. In 1920, there was The Rising Tide of Color Against White World Supremacy. It was a Scribner bestseller that was endorsed by President Harding. With Stoddard, Harding believed that in 1900, the white men stood at the pinnacle of his prestige and power. White rule fell to pieces in 1914 when the Allies poured into white Europe colored hordes of every pigment under the sun. Stoddard's second book, The Revolt Against Civilization, The Menace of the Underman, shaped the Nazi Reich's eugenics plan as the underman became the Untermensch, which included all inferior people, Jews, Roma, Poles, Africans, 
Russians, etc. However, for all his fame, by the end of the war, with evidence of the Holocaust, Stoddard lost his popularity, of course, and died in complete obscurity in 1950. Muir's point in conducting this research and revealing this history is to unveil this limitation among Unitarians and Universalists and to ask, what is the legacy of this history for us today? He suggests ways that congregations and communities and organizations can reconcile with these revelations and move on to a stronger, more integrated sense of who we are. He writes, we may discover the hard clarity of what has been and begin to repair and redeem the remnants of what remains. All right, that's the first story. Here's the second story. Again, this is from this journal. When we Americans learn about Unitarians in Hungary, we realize we don't know very much. They did not experience the influence of the transcendentalists or the humanists, as happened in America, due to the repression they experienced from their governments. In 1920, at the end of World War I, the Treaty of Trianon cut defeated Hungary apart giving various parts of it to its neighbors. Most Hungarian Unitarians lived in the eastern part of Hungary, known as Transylvania, which was thenceforward occupied by Romania. The Unitarian Church in Transylvania faced great struggle as its monies were confiscated by succeeding governments. The history of Unitarians in Romania is told with more precision in this journal than I can offer here. But it's an important story. It is the back backdrop for a story about a Transylvanian minister, the Reverend Dr. Imra Gallard, that's in here too, which is told by his daughter, the Reverend Dr. Judith Gallard. Her account begins in 1959, when her father was taken into custody by the Securitate, working in tandem with what she describes as the then corrupt Unitarian Church. Ministers were considered a danger to the state, Judith writes. While several ministers of our church were imprisoned, it was my father whom the Securitate kept under surveillance and continuous intimidation even after his release from prison. Thankfully, her father had been able to hide his dissertation, his sermons, and other documents under the floorboards of the attic before being taken away in the black car of the Securitate. Access to these documents made it possible for Judith to later publish his work with the encouragement of Elie Wiesel, who was her mentor while she was in graduate school. She published it in English as well as Hungarian. Judith offers a warning to readers to beware the creeping power of totalitarianism. Freedom is never free, she states. We must do all we can to keep our institutions of freedom strong. So this story from our Hungarian Unitarian past unveils yet another part of who we have been and offers a lesson for us to enlarge our understanding and our sympathy for all of who we are. Okay, I'm gonna end now with a third account. This is from Pittsburgh. This is the unknown story of Frank P. Meyer. 
This last story, oh, I already said that, sorry. On Sunday, May 29, 1938, Sunday School Superintendent Frank P. Meyer imparted a singular message to his young audience in the junior church. By the way, this is in the late 30s. Um, things were just not good in the 30s among Unitarian, really any church. Churches were really struggling. He imparted this singular message to his young audience in the junior church. Quote, the one fundamental truth that is the very essence of religion is to keep your mind and heart active in the interest of others. Then he added with some urgency, if your religion is to be at all practical, please accept only this one piece of advice from one who has lived long enough to know. Well, less than a year later, an announcement in the record for April 1939 noted a special memorial service was held for the late beloved Frank P. Meyer. At the service, a new portable electric Magnavox machine for the playing of Victrola records was dedicated to the church, quote, in memory of Frank P. Meyer. He loved music. A poem for the occasion was written by the church treasurer in exquisite memory, Frank P. Meyer. Kind words and deeds can never die, and whilst we sigh a poignant sigh that Frank abides with us no more, as in the blessed days of yore, we know his record left behind shall fade not, and we are resigned to his departure, though we know that it, alas, has left us well. And the poem continued. For me, history is about stories. And this one is surely a gem. Here was a man, 55 years old, whose leadership in the church was grounded in a conviction about serving, in this case, the junior church, articulated with some urgency because he apparently knew his remaining time to live was limited. He wanted everyone to know the very essence of religion is to keep your mind and heart active in the interest of others. So here's my thought about all this. When we become you, you, we become more. And we, we learn more and we become more. It may not be that any of us will research our past and write about it, but you might. It may not be that any of us will travel to Transylvania and visit one of the hundred plus Unitarian churches there, but you might. You may, it may not be that any of us will help the homeless, but you might. It may not be that any of us will march for Black Lives Matter or read all you can to better understand and alleviate the white supremacist culture in which we all live, but you might. It may not be that any of us will give the gift of fantastic music to our services, but you might. It may not be that any of us will work with a committee to take care of our beautiful building, but you might. It may not be that any of us will take youth, our precious youth, on a work week to repair homes and other structures but you might. When we become you, you, we expand possibilities we never expected. In our giving, 
in our learning about the society we live in and the world around us and in what we do for others, we become more. These are the lessons I hope we can all take away from these stories today. Amen. Let us stand now in body or spirit and join together as we sing our closing hymn. <laughs> these closing words. These are from Carl Seberg. Between the dusk and dawn of our being, let us be brave and loving. In our little passage through the light, let us sustain and forward the human venture in gentleness, in service and in thought. Amen. The colors of the rainbow 
so pretty in the sky are also on the faces of people going by. I see friends shaking hands, saying, how do you do? They're really saying, I love you. I hear babies cry. I watch them grow. They're like much more than I ever knew. And I think to myself, What a wonderful world Yes, I think to myself What a wonderful world